At this point in time, she comes clean to me about a few other things that she hasn't really been honest with me about. Hey, Matt LeBlanc here. Travis was dating a new girl that made him feel like a million bucks. It actually seemed too good to be true until she finally let him know that it was. Here's Travis. So she tells me that Mark and her were in a relationship for several years prior to this. Mark, Travis's previous manager and customer tech support, whom he had deemed a quote, scumbag. Ugh, of course it had to be him. He was really good friends with her brother, who was also living in Los Angeles at this time. They started dating and then they started this like long distance relationship for a couple years. So she moved out to Los Angeles to be with Mark. And as soon as she moved out, he sort of changed. His dedication and interest in the relationship started to wane. And a month into her being in Los Angeles, on her birthday, he dumps her. And she's devastated by this. She'd uprooted her entire life in Connecticut, moved across the country to Los Angeles, signed a year lease, and gotten dumped by this guy. And she's already working at his company. Not yet. Oh. Your necessary delusion. Your necessary delusion. Why do you keep lying? Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and it only took me 25 years since Friends premiered to come to terms with it. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we are speaking to you, then please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about us. Send them a link. Participate in the conversation with me. You can send us an email at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com with your own story to tell, or you can write us a review on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. Thanks, guys. Today's episode is Marathon Liar Part 2, folks, Part 2. If you did not catch last week's episode, then you should go right now, because it was a stunner. And we are on a moving train. Just to catch everybody up, Travis is a writer in Los Angeles. His script died in the 2009 writer's strike, and he found himself unhappily working in customer service at a tech company. He must have really been feeling the loss deep down, because he did what a lot of us do when we're not happy with ourselves. He found a new story to drive him. Against his usual instincts, he asked out the most impressive woman at the office and signed up to run the LA Marathon without any training or background in running. Delusion! Sometimes you have to try something a little crazy to remind yourself what you're capable of, right? We've all been there. I've always sort of felt like I need to prove myself to whomever I'm in a relationship with. Saying that I was a runner was all a part of that. That's all a part of this big delusion that like I need to be worthy of whomever I have an interest in, worthy of love, worthy of receiving any sort of love. And so I try to prove that. And even if I lie about it and then figure my way out how to actually do it, there's something about in my head having to sort of like prove my worth. Anyway, the whole plan seemed to be working until Kate revealed that she was basically on a major rebound when they met. And her ex was the scumbag guy that they worked with. As Travis told us in the opening, Kate had moved to L.A. to be with Mark, and then he had broken up with her on her birthday. And then she had gotten a job at his office. 
So she's talking to Linda, who is also friends with Mark. She's part of that crew of people. And Linda's like, hey, well, we could use some help around the office. Why don't I talk to the boss and we can get you in part time and you can come in and like Mark will be there and like he'll see you and like he'll realize what a mistake he made and like maybe it'll work out. What a delusional, misguided idea, Linda. Thank you. All of this was happening completely unbeknownst to me. So Kate was in the office trying to secretly win back Mark. And meanwhile, she gets sucked up into Travis's Be a Better Travis campaign. Or maybe she was sucking Travis into her Make Kate Feel Better About Being Dumped campaign. Or it might have even been her Let's Make Mark Jealous campaign. But probably not. Like Travis said, they were keeping the relationship pretty secret. Anyway, the point is, we are all selfish, fragile, biased Earth monsters. And whether we are fully aware of it or not, we use each other to help live out fantasies that are necessary to our own survival. Too heavy? Sorry. Let's get back to Travis. He's still just finding out that Kate used to be with Mark. I had no idea about any of this. And it kind of threw me off. I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Like, are you still like in love with Mark? Like what's going on here? She assures me that she's not in love with Mark. It's completely over. He destroyed her when he broke up with her on her birthday. And the media temple job was really just, she had friends there. She really liked Linda and she liked hanging out with Linda. And it was just a way to earn some extra money. And also she could take advantage of the free web hosting for her clients and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, sure. Right. Okay, fine. Whatever. I took that as the truth, even though I shouldn't have, you know, she had at this point, like lied to me twice, not lying. It's not lying. She just had like withheld information. Pertinent information. Exactly. But I'm like not interested at this point in like seeing the reality. Who could blame him? He was gaining so much from staying in this delusion. Higher competence, companionship, status. He was not about to give all of that up because why? Because she had a pesky ex-boyfriend that she was still in love with? Because she'd moved across the country to be with him? Because she had gotten a job at his office of all places for a job that was under her pay grade just to be close so on the very off chance that he said he wanted to be with her again, she'd be right there? Just because of that? You think Travis should give up on this whole thing? You delusional earth monster. He was having some of the best sex of his life. And he was feeling like a better Travis. Besides, she was friends with MIA's drummer. Did you forget about that? She knew MIA's drummer. I am like, she's awesome, super cool, exposing me to all sorts of different things, helping me grow as an individual. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see it. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not interested at all in seeing any of the truth. I don't even want you to see it at this point. I'm <laughs> like, this is going great. Yeah. I did realize that we, we were dating, but we hadn't defined anything. And I, so at this point, because of this new information, it just gets into my head that like, I need to define this. Am I her boyfriend? Are we a couple? What is this? Oof. Kiss of death. By all accounts, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Delusion, yeah. So from that point on, like every time we're hanging out, it eventually does come up in the conversation of like, hey, so like, what are we? Like, what's going on here? Are we a couple? Are we not? It mysteriously eventually comes up because he is low-key obsessing about it and finds a way to bring it up. Like we do. And she's like, I just don't want to like put any labels on anything. I'm not interested in any of that. I just got out of this relationship and it wasn't great. So I don't want to be 
defining new relationships or anything like that. Like, let's just have fun. Let's just enjoy this time. Cool, cool, cool. Totally, totally. Me too. And just checking, when you say this time, do you mean the rest of our lives? Because it feels like we might be falling in love here, correct? I'm projecting. And that bugged me, but I was like still kind of okay with going along with things. One day, we're hanging out at her place watching a movie, and she gets a text, and it's from Mark. And she's like, oh my god, Mark just texted me. And I guess they hadn't really been talking or anything. And just the way that she had responded to that, like, it was like her world, like, collapsed or something. It was like her mind was blown. And she's like, what should I say to him? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Ignore him. <laughs> nothing he broke up with you on your birthday do you remember this uh this dude abandoned you when you came across the country for him like who gives a fuck which is of course all code for please don't leave me but she was like no no i need to say something like and i'm still in my head lying to myself like this, this is okay like in my head i was like this guy is such an asshole to have dumped her on her birthday that like there's no way she could possibly still have feelings for this dude Delusion. She was like, okay, you're right. I won't say anything. I was like, okay, cool, great. Kate put her phone back on the coffee table and Travis accepted her back into the crook of his arm on the couch. They kissed cordially to seal the decision and they looked back towards the TV as if life could actually be this simple. But after a moment out of the corner of Kate's eye, her attention drifted back to the phone. Travis noticed, but he pretended like he didn't. He kept his eyes fixed on the TV because details like this didn't support his story. So a few days later, we're getting lunch downtown. And once again, the conversation comes up about defining the relationship. What are we? Are we like a couple? What's going on? And she's like, look, I have a confession to make. I saw Mark. Shocking. And I don't think we can see each other anymore. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Literally, like, I had no idea. It kind of blew my mind. Wait, how about a little warning or something? What, have you two been texting? Oh, right, from the other day when we were watching the movie? Yeah, was that serious? Because I chose to not take that seriously. Oh, it was? So wait, what now? We're done? I was like, okay, are you back together with Mark? And she's not sure. Which is code for he hasn't told me yet. She isn't really certain, but she's also pretty sure that she should be dating anybody right now. That she's kind of got to figure things out for herself. There was nothing really I could do about it at that point. I was like, okay, well, if that's what you feel like you got to do, then that's what you got to do. And um, we stopped dating. We stopped seeing each other. We're still working together. And Mark's there too. And Mark's there too. And she does make me promise to not bring up to Mark that she was dating me or that we were dating. Let's see if he can keep that promise. How does that feel? It sucks. It's like, are you serious? Like, you are so twisted. Like, this is such a manipulative, weird, two-faced, very manipulative sort of thing. And I was really bummed out by the whole thing, essentially. But I agreed. I was like, fine. We were coworkers. I didn't want to create any office drama. Just take it out on the customer service calls. Yeah, exactly. Well, at this point, I wasn't even dealing with that. I was doing this uh, Twitter technical support for the company, and I, I had like my own little group of people that I've managed and that sort of thing. So oddly enough, like I had started out as a guy who was underneath Mark as like a worker. And now I was like at Mark's level. So it was like this weird thing. Weird thing. Code for at least I'm not being managed by this scumbag anymore. Here's the thing about Mark. I actually totally like Mark. 
Delusion. I don't have any real problems with Mark. Other than he's dating Kate, who's supposed to be my girlfriend. Mark and I have never not gotten along. Because he doesn't know that I dated his girlfriend when they were on a break. They were on a break. Anyone? It's honestly really funny when she mentioned to me that she was dating him or that she'd been in a relationship with him. I was like, him? <laughs> like, he was very maybe. You know, he was not like this super handsome dude. He was tall, pasty, kind of like a, a boyish face. I don't even think the dude could grow a beard sort of a thing. Travis has a well-manicured power beard. He kind of had like a turkey neck. There it is. Not a handsome guy. He was funny, but he was not a charismatic guy at all. I've never been able to predict what other guys women will find attractive. My response is usually, ugh, that guy? Why? Which is, of course, code for, but I'm nothing like him. Somehow or another, he and Kate had just like this connection for whatever reason. And he had some kind of of thing over her. Maybe she liked to cover his turkey neck and hickeys. Hey, not making fun, celebrating vulnerability. Come on, my nose is three sizes too big for my face and my wife loves it. Who can say what attracts people to each other, right? He just gave off this sort of vibe as like the guy who would go and buy beer for teenagers. You know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah. not a strong moral code. Yeah, yeah. Never really seemed like he had a super strong moral code. Never. He wasn't like creepy or anything, but put it this way. Like I would not ask Mark to do anything for me because I don't really feel like he would do it. You know, he never really seemed like a kind of guy who was like reliable, so to speak. He was very forgettable. So... To find out all this stuff about him was like really surprising. And annoying. Now Travis was having to keep quiet in the office while he watched Kate and Mark secretly flirt in the hallways and find private moments to steal kisses. Ugh. It was actually depressing. And don't forget about the whole training for a marathon thing either. He was losing his trainer. He was running about 14 miles at this point. Still 10 plus more miles to figure out if he was going to follow through with this race. But then... What was the point? When I stopped seeing Kate, I was like, I don't think I'm going to keep doing this marathon. Like, I got myself into this mess because of her. I'm not dating her anymore. Like, what's the point? No fun, flirty friend to go with anymore. No one left to impress but himself. He couldn't even run in her cool, beachy neighborhood. If he wanted to train now, he was going to have to do it from home, downtown LA. No thank you. The delusion sort of died in its tracks at this point, and in the most anticlimactic way. He was suddenly back to reality, back to lonely Friday nights playing video games at home, back to a stupid job that he wanted to quit, back to sitting and staring at his laptop in coffee shops in the evenings trying to muster up some excitement for his script. What was he writing about these days anyway? What story was he trying to tell? He would just sit and stare at the computer screen and try to come up with a good idea, come up with something that gave him a better feeling to move on with, trying to come up with a better feeling about himself. Stay tuned after the break, but first, 143 means I love you. You know the code, 143. It's the number of the letters and I love you. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, send us a message on Venmo. Send us $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. And we'll consider that love. Thanks, guys. We are back. We just left Travis as he woke up from his fantasy. Recently dumped by Kate and back to real life, he had decided to quit the marathon, 
It made him feel weird to quit. If ever there was a time to run a marathon, it was right now. He was in great shape. At that point, I'd been seeing like really good results. I'd been put into like the best shape of my life. I weighed the least amount that I'd weighed in my adult life. My long runs were like 13, 14, 15 miles. So I was running really long distances. And so I was like, you know what? I already paid this money to do this marathon. I'd already trained all this time. Fuck it. I'm going to run this marathon. Delusion! Who cares if I started doing this for her to impress her? And now I'm at this point where this run is going to be for me. I'm going to do this run for me. Which is really what it was kind of about the whole time. Woo! Taking control of your life moment. Go Travis! Don't lie. You know you're feeling it. So now all he had to do was figure out how to double the distance that he was running with no experienced runner to guide him. Cue the clumsy underdog training montage. So I keep training through the winter. I even went to my mom's up in northern Michigan for Christmas that year. I remember having to do like a long run in the middle of the tundra. It was crazy. Like the road was ice. I could barely keep my footing. I ran like 11 miles or something like that in frozen tundra weather. And how did that feel? It was pretty cool. It was really cool. Cold as fuck, but pretty cool. It made you feel proud, I bet. Yeah, yeah. It made me feel really proud. And, you know, over time, as you're just like your runs are getting longer, there's a period of time when you're training for a marathon when you go through this period where your long runs, they kind of plateau and hover around 14, 15, 16 miles. When you're starting, it's like three miles, four miles, six miles, seven miles, 10 miles. Like you're just, you're just, it's like a parabola. You're just getting much, much longer runs. And then you hit this point when you're training where you got to get your body used to going through the punishment of long run of like beyond a half marathon distance. You sort of ping pong back and forth between like 14 miles and 16 miles for like a month or so. And it's super frustrating because you want to keep going. You want to just like, let me run more miles, but you got to stick with that because your body got to get used to that. So as the marathon's getting closer, I'm running longer and longer distances. But because I was not like a runner, my training was not like I, I wasn't I didn't really know what I was doing. Don't forget, previous to training for this marathon, the last time Travis had run was in elementary school when they ran the mile. And frankly, he wasn't really built for that. I was a kid who had a slight scoliosis. I had flat feet and wore inserts. Running was not something that like my body was designed to really do. So I was doing damage to my body. I would go on these long runs and I would not be able to move for like the rest of the day. I would be legs up. I'd be taking like ice baths. I was like popping pain pills a lot to deal with shin splints and leg pain and all that sort of stuff. And because my gait is sort of splayed, Ooh, I love a good splayed gait. My feet stick out sort of duck-footed, especially on my right foot. I always start having issues with my IT band. Oh no, his splayed gait was messing with his IT band. What do I look like, a physical therapist? Could you explain that, please? The IT band is basically, it's a big ligament that attaches underneath your kneecap, and it runs all the way up to the length of your leg and connects to your glute, to your butt. And that IT band is essentially the only thing that keeps your legs from just splaying out at the knee. It's what keeps your legs straight. But because of the way that my feet are, because of the way that I run, my T band was rubbing up constantly against my leg bone. And as it rubs, it becomes more and more inflamed. And at a certain point, it becomes so inflamed that you can't bend your leg anymore. So I was rolling out my muscles all the time, but I was still like doing it. I was getting the miles in. My diet was locked in. I would bring my run shoes to work and I would run after work. 
I was going to run this fucking marathon no matter what. And kind of almost to spite Kate. I was kind of like, fuck you, Kate. I'm going to run this damn marathon without you. Delusion! That sounds like part of the new delusion to me. It's harmless and it helps. Fuck you, Kate. I'm going to run this damn marathon without you. So there's like a final long run that you're supposed to run right before the marathon. You're supposed to run like 20, 21 miles. Up to that point, the longest I had run was a 19-mile run. Turns out it was actually 18 miles, but same thing. Was it 19 miles? No, it was 18 miles, which I started at my apartment in downtown, and I ran along Wilshire Boulevard towards Beverly Hills. I was really surprised at how far I went. I was like in the middle of Beverly Hills, like almost Rodeo Drive. And then the week before I was to run my long run, the 20 mile run right before the marathon, my Achilles started acting up. It was in a lot of pain. And to compensate, what I did was I took my bike and I rode all the way down to Redondo Beach and then back again, which is like almost 30, 35 miles. I figured this could compensate for it. And I'm not dealing with like all the issues that I was dealing with my Achilles with just like the pounding on the pavement and running that sort of thing. So I was like, okay, cool. How many miles had you run when the marathon comes up? The 18 miles was the highest you'd gone? 18 miles was the highest I had run at that point. A marathon is 26.2 miles, so he still had eight plus miles to train, but he'd run out of time. The marathon was ready for him, even if he wasn't ready for the marathon. 2010 was the first year LA had changed their usual restrictive marathon route downtown. They had carved a track across the whole city. They called it a stadium to the sea run. The path was to run from Dodger Stadium through downtown, Echo Park, Silver Lake, East Hollywood into Hollywood, through the Sunset Strip, pop down, run along Wilshire Boulevard, and then essentially up through Westwood where UCLA is, and then along Sunset all the way down to Santa Monica. And the finish line was kind of near the pier, essentially, in Santa Monica. And that was the whole marathon. This is the first year they'd ever done it. So I was super excited for this run. So you go, you get your bib. And the bib is like super important because that's what keeps track of your time. There's like an RFID chip into it. They have like a little chip in it. And that like when you run through the various like mile markers, it like updates your time. This is all the day before the marathon for registration. And I meet all these vendors and I see this KT tape vendor, which I'd never heard of up until that point. But it was like this whole tape thing where you put this tape around like injuries and stuff that you're having and i was still dealing with my achilles tendon issues and so i got some kt tape learned how to put that on and i felt ready to go can you tell that he really needed this kt tape delusion who cares if he had a splayed gate he has kt tape delusion so morning of the race you start super early, I think at like six o'clock in the morning. So I think I got up at like four o'clock. I, th I took an Uber to the Dodger Stadium. The run takes place in early March. So it's still in Los Angeles terms, it's still cold. And at four o'clock in the morning, it's like really cold. We're talking 50 degrees, folks. I get in there, I or got my workout gear on and my bib on. Do you remember your number on your bib? I want to say it's like 3962 or something like that. And I'm stretching out in Dodger Stadium. They allowed everybody inside and we're like hanging out inside on the field in Dodger Stadium. Everybody's sort of warming up. And standing on the crowded field, surrounded by nearly 23,000 runners stretching, he gets lonely. I'm a little lonely. I definitely feel like alone among the sea of people. 
something I didn't know about when I started training for the marathon, but there's all these different organizations and groups where people can tr train to run a marathon or triathlons and stuff like with groups of people. It's like a whole community of people who are like running and training together. And so I'm seeing these like different various groups of people like all sort of meeting up and they're all excited and cheering each other on and giving each other support. And I'm like all alone by myself, like stretching out on the field. So as he stretches, watching and wanting, he finds himself looking around for one person. Kate, and I didn't see her anywhere, but I was like, fuck it, who cares? I'm thinking about her because I'm kind of like, even though it's fairly recent, there's a bit of like, she's connected to this. She's connected to this moment. I can't deny that. So looking around to see her and I didn't see her or anything. There's definitely anxiety. There's definitely nerves. I've never done this before. There's so many goddamn people in this thing. And you feel like you're a part of this community of people who all like just destroyed themselves training for this moment. So there's a lot of pride in that. There's a lot of like nerves because this is the moment that everything's sort of built up to. And I definitely on my own was kind of hoping or thinking that it would have been really nice to be here with Kate, warming up with Kate and getting ready to go on this run with Kate, even though I knew that even if we had been together, like she would have gone and done her own run at a, you know, she wouldn't have kept pace with me, but just to be there at the beginning would have been nice. At the risk of this becoming a catchphrase, you've been there, or at least I have. And it's always sort of a frustrating feeling. On one hand, I'm like, I got here. Look at me stretching on the field of Dodger Stadium. And on the other hand, it's like, there's no one here to watch me. So instead of letting this be a celebration, I sulk. Oh, Earth Monster. I'm talking to myself. There's two giant groups of people who are running. There's the group of the pro athletes, the runners who do this for a living, and they are freaks of nature. Like, they look so awesome and, like, super in shape, like, lean, muscular, you know, Clydesdales of humans, <laughs> essentially. All right, keep it in your pants. Like, these guys take off at full fucking sprints. And they're about to run basically at a sprint for 26 miles, nonstop. It's insane. They start corralling people into the space in front of the exit, lining up, each person running their own race. And Travis had gotten here in his own way. The slow kid in school with slight scoliosis and a splayed gait, ready to run. I don't know about you, but hearing about this makes me feel a little envious. I've always thought that I would run a marathon and I still never have. I wonder if I ever will. What kind of delusion would it take for me to stand there with 26.2 miles laid out in front of me? There's a big arch, like inflatable arch at the start line. Nothing quite says this is my life like an inflatable arch. And you're sort of crammed in there, shoulder to shoulder, front to back. A lot of people are like pumping each other up, like super excited. People are giving each other high fives and stuff like that. The clock starts counting down and then the gun goes off. Like they actually shoot a gun. <laughs> I couldn't believe that they actually shoot a gun. But yeah, bang, this big mass of people just pushing forward. And when it starts going, you're just kind of walking more or less. You're not really running at the start and then gradually the race sort of opens up and naturally everybody sort of like falls into their own pace at the beginning because of the nerves and everything i was running like way faster than i should have been and the, the first mile of the run was just a one lap around the outside of dodger stadium 
and then we head down the hill towards downtown and i realize if i keep this pace up like i am not going to finish this race at all so i slow things down you know i'm kind of trudging along people are passing me i'm sort of the middle of the pack i would say and for most of it i'm just running my own race you know it's kind of cool you start to just enjoy yourself you, you forget that like you're in the middle of this like crazy long run if you're being really in the moment the streets are all blocked off for you it's this very cool and surreal experience there's all these different water stations along the way some people are running the whole time some people are running and walking you start getting into it you realize there's not a heck of a lot of pressure to like perform it's really just this very supportive community of people everybody's there to run their own race and to support each other along the way i remember being in hollywood and running at a certain point and i see my friend and his wife and a whole bunch of my other friends and they all have signs for me and they're like cheering for me like yeah travis go yeah and i was like i still have a picture from when they saw me and i'm running and i had my head shaved at this point and i'm loving it i'm just like in it i'm having such a blast are you still looking for Kate at any point? I'm not looking for her because I know that like Kate runs a way faster mile than me. There's no way that she's anywhere near me. But I find myself thinking of her. It's definitely like cropping up. So if you're running a 10 and a half minute mile, right? And there's 26 miles. What's the math behind that? I'm not here to do math. <laughs> At the very least, it's going to take you about three hours to do this. So you've got a lot of time of just trudging along on the pavement. And you're thinking, I'm thinking about how I got myself into this in the first place. I'm thinking about what would have happened if I hadn't walked up to her in the break room and lied about the fact that I was a runner. What would have happened if I hadn't decided to go on that first easy run, which I could barely do three miles. So there's a lot going through your head. There's all sorts of milestones that you've passed through all sorts of experiences that I've had in what is honestly a relatively short period of time. My relationship with Kate, it was like three, four months. So not even the entirety of the training period for this marathon. And I'd still kept doing it, gotten myself to this place, kind of all on so, my own. Not a delusion. So I'm assuming you're feeling proud of that. Yeah, I'm feeling really good. And my legs are holding up. I'm just sort of like focused on my running, on maintaining my pace and keeping my eye on the prize of sort of completing this race. And I get through mile 18 and I'm like, cool, I'm still keeping pace. Remember, he's never run past mile 18. He suddenly finds himself in unknown territory. My legs are starting to really bother me. So I'm slowing down, you know? And right about mile 19, my IT band seizes up. Basically, my right leg refuses to bend. It won't do anything. It's the most painful, sharp, stabbing pain that you could ever experience. And I have to step off the side of the track. To even just put a little bit of weight on the leg is the most excruciating pain. And I'm sitting there and I start crying. I'm super emotional about this. It feels like all this time and energy, all this effort, all this stuff that I had gone through to get to this point, to run this race, kind of was like, it, it was feeling like it was all for nothing. Delusion. Like, what did I go through all this for if I can't just finish this run? What did I do? My mind was ready to go. My training was ready. The cardio was there to be able to complete this race. But my body was not playing ball. My body was not going to cooperate. 
I'm not at all trying to question his injury, but isn't it interesting that his IT band gave out on mile 19, the first mile that he had never run before? It's moments like this that make me feel like our bodies and our minds are so wildly connected to each other, that maybe his leg seizing up was just his delusion peeking out, to say, you can't run a marathon, Travis. You're not worth it. I'm right around the VA hospital area, just outside of Westwood. There's a small road going overhead. There's all sorts of like municipal buildings and stuff like that. And it's kind of like a park. There's just a lot of administrative buildings and stuff there. It's a kind of a hot day. So I'm underneath this overpass and I'm bawling and crying because like the pain and then also just like this feeling of failure and regret is like just overwhelming me. He's watching the runners pass by and the longer he sits, it starts to feel like he's just there to watch the race. Like maybe he was never supposed to be running it in the first place. He doesn't know what to do now. At least he can be sure Kate won't see him. At her pace, she's probably on her last miles. He starts to wonder how he would leave if he decided to. Wouldn't Uber pick him up right here? He's not sure. So he pulls out his phone and he calls his mom in Michigan. So I call up my mom and I'm just like, my leg is not working. My leg will not bend. I can't, I don't know if I can run this anymore. And she's telling me like, it's okay if you don't want to finish. If you want to, they call it DNF, did not finish. If you want to just disqualify yourself, like you can, like that, there's no shame in it. Like you trained all this time to get there. You put in a lot of effort. You've been through a lot. So it's okay if you don't finish, like you can always run another race. I sort of hate to be like this, but delusion. If you keep doing it, like take care of yourself and be careful. And I hung up and I was thinking about everything that I'd gone through. And I was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to run a marathon again. I don't know that I want to go through all of that training to do another marathon again. This is probably going to be the only time that I run a marathon, quite honestly. As much as I enjoyed the training, it wasn't like, wow, I love this so much. Like, I want to do this every year. (laughs) It was like, okay, it was cool. I experienced that. So I decided I was going to finish. I knew that I couldn't run it, but I knew that I could like limp along. Right on the verge of quitting. And just like that, he talks himself out of it. The power of a necessary delusion. But now the hard part. He had to back it up with excruciating action. It had taken me just a little under three hours to run 19 miles. I got seven miles left. I can limp, hop, run, drag, whatever I need to, to get seven more miles in. That's fine. The other thing that that most people don't realize is like, there's a time limit. Most people think like, well, if you run a marathon, if you start like, then like you finish it. But that's not the case. Like at a certain point, they start like shutting down the marathon behind you. And if you are behind a certain pace, they're just like, sorry. With one leg that won't bend and the shooting pain reminding him of his vow to finish with each and every step. Suddenly, it really does feel like a race, not just a race against himself and his mind, a race against the cleanup crew. This was going to take more than a fantasy to finish. So I'm pushing myself forward and I'm telling you the pain was the worst pain I've ever experienced. They say passing a kidney stone is the worst thing that you can ever experience. I hope to God I never get a kidney stone because this was fucking awful. I could barely move my leg. I could barely put any pressure on it. I'm limping along. Everybody's passing me. Like everybody. I'm talking like the people who are like 15 minute, 18 minute miles. Like people who just, they might as well be walking the entire thing. They're passing me by at this point. I can barely, it feels awful. It feels terrible. 
when you see somebody who who like you know more power to them it's super awesome that they are pushing themselves to do it but these people are like obese running these races like and they're they're doing it they're doing it they're going to get to it and they're going to get it done and it's awesome to see it but at the same time i have to stop and lie down on the side of the road because i can barely do anything see that and you're just like really it's not the shame of it it's more like holy shit I must be getting near the end of this pace. It's now getting to the point where like, I might not even be able to finish this race. And I'm even seeing people starting to close up the different check-in points, the different like water points and all that. He saw the cleanup crews closing in, folding tables, loading trucks, crushing dreams. So I'm running down sunset. Using the term running pretty generously. And my roommate, Andy, he sees me and he sees that I'm in pain. He runs up to me and he's like, hey man, are you okay? I was like, yeah, but my leg fucking hurts. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this. And he's like, don't worry, man. Like, I'll, I'll run with you. Like, we'll finish this. Andy had just showed up to watch. He wasn't exactly wearing running clothes, which I guess was fine because Travis wasn't exactly running. So he runs with me. He helps me out, gives me support run, hop, hobble, limp, whatever the last mile or so. I'm like hanging on to him for like the last mile. And then like the last half mile, I'm like, dude, I got to run this myself. Like I got to go across that finish line myself. I don't care if it hurts. I'm going to run through it. So I start running. I'm not running, running, but I'm like faster pace than a walk. We'll say trudging along, just doing the best I can to ignore this pain shooting up through my body. And I finally get across the finish line and it's like this wave of emotions just hits again, you know, and it's just like every like you're done. You know, it's just like everything's over. I just like sat down like right there like I, didn't, I couldn't even really like i didn't want to do anything else eventually like i had to get up they were like hey get out of the way but <laughs> other people are still finishing right yeah yeah i wasn't the last person but like i was definitely like at the end from lying to kate in the break room to now he'd actually finished the marathon it had taken him three hours to do the first 19 miles and nearly another three hours to finish the last seven his final time was just under six hours and just like the first three miles that he ran with Kate, shuffling, his feet turned out like a duck, sopping wet from head to toe. You gotta love him, because he had an idea and he ran with it, and now it was all worth it. There's a little area down on the beach set up. I went down there. They give you one of those foil blankets because you've just expended so much energy that your body cannot barely keep any warmth in. You just sweated out all the electrolytes and like, so you're wrapped up in this thing and shivering. And, and while I was down in this little area, I, I ran into Kate. I saw Kate and she was there with Mark and he was there to like support her for the run and everything. And you know, I said, hi. It's like, how did it go? She's like, oh, you went fine, you know? And I was like, cool. And she said, how did it go for you? I'm like, well, you know, I explained what happened. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, but good. Like, congratulations for finishing. It was very cordial and everything. It was very cordial. But like the weird thing for me was like, honestly, I didn't care at that point. I, I had run this race for myself and I completed it and finished it for myself. Like it had nothing to do with her anymore at that point. It was all just for me. I didn't need to prove myself 
for anybody to prove to myself that I could do it. Beautiful delusion. Were you surprised by your reaction when you saw Kate? Yeah, I was a little surprised. A little, yeah. I thought I was going to be like more angry with her. More, I thought I was going to be a lot more like snotty to her. Yeah, but I was. I really wasn't. It was very, very nice, cordial. How do you define cordial? Cordial, polite, just being very polite and sociable with somebody. You know, having manners and showing deference to that person without, you know, not being mean or anything like that. So yeah. It's almost like you ran into Kate at just the right moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't see her while I was running. Travis, how did completing this race change the way that you thought about yourself? Or did it? It did. It it, it changed my perception of my ability to stick to a task and like complete it. When I was a kid, I tried different sports, I tried different hobbies, and it was always made very clear to me that like, if I didn't want to do it anymore, that's fine. Like, I don't need to stick to it. But I think that that kind of created within me a bit of a lack of a commitment to certain things. What we call delusion on this show. And this sort of made me realize that like, if I really want to do something, I can just commit to it and I can see it through no matter what, like no matter what. Delusion! Even with a leg that doesn't even work anymore, I can still finish a marathon. So do you think that that maybe is part of the reason that you called your mom in that moment was maybe on an unconscious level to try to get permission to not finish the race? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I definitely think that I might have called my mom to think that she could give me permission to quit. And she did. <laughs> she did give me permission to quit. Um, I decided to not take that permission from her. And I think, honestly, I think after the marathon, that was sort of like the last time that I ever quit anything just because I didn't like it anymore or just because it was hard or it was too much of a challenge. Not saying anything against Travis's mom. Parents love their kids. And I imagine it's not easy to look three decades into the future to predict how your story is going to look when they're playing through it without you. Maybe this marathon had taught him a lesson about his career, too. I'm working as a writer and as a, as a storyteller, but I'm not a working screenwriter. But you are, just to give you credit where credit's due, you are also making your living as a story producer Yeah. on television. It's reality television, but it's certainly exercising all of your storytelling skills, correct? For sure. That's 100%. And I think that that's a part of it too. Like that's that's a different story. That to me is growth and maturity and, and coming to understand that you make plans and reality is not necessarily going to be what you imagined it to be, right? So like when I first moved to Los Angeles, I thought, oh, I was going to become like this amazing screenwriter making a living selling screenplays and making movies. And now I'm a writer who works in story departments and unscripted television. And I still write because it's a marathon, man. It's not a sprint. If you really love something, like you got to keep going at it. And even if I do end up writing something that gets made into a film, what is my life going to change because of that? No, my life, I'm still who I am. I'm still Travis. And I'm just, you know, you just keep doing it. Like the whole thing is a marathon. You just got to keep, you just keep got to keep pushing forward. I want to thank my friend Travis Oberlander for telling his story today. You inspired me, man. I am so proud of the person that I've seen you become in the last 10 years. And I've never been able to see your brilliance so clearly. Did Mark know anything about your previous relationship with Kate when you ran into her after the race? No, he never has as far as I know. And the funny thing is about Mark and Kate is that 
Mark and Kate now are married and they have at least two beautiful kids and like it worked out for them. It's the weirdest thing. I was like, I can't believe that she like would go back to this guy. Like he dumped her on her birthday. Like this guy's gotta be like a super douche. And maybe he is a super douche and she's a super douche with him. But like those two super douches made a douchey family. <laughs> <laughs> and they're very happy together in douche land. Thank you for being here with me today, you selfish, douchey earth monster. Do not forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're listening every week and you still haven't written us a review, think about cruising over to the Purple Podcast app, that's Apple iTunes, and taking two minutes to write us a review because your opinion is powerful and it will help other people find our show. Thanks, guys. 143 means I love you. I'm not done asking for stuff. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, send us a message on Venmo. Send us $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. We've got new stories coming out for you every Monday. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week for a story that I'm calling Handful of Bees. The beehive is going to literally land on my face and all the bees are going to scatter and it's going to be a big mess. So like... I had to like stop myself completely because I was just so like in the zone. And then all of a sudden they hear that snap. I'm like, okay, now it's just me holding the bees. Like I'm in it. I've committed and there's no going back. Another big thanks to Travis for sharing today. You can reach out to Travis on Twitter at Tobewan. That's T-O-B-E-W-A-N. Or on Instagram at T-Oberlander. Oberlander is O-B-E-R-L-A-N-D-E-R. And a big thanks to Paola Monterde, the love of my life, for understanding why it is so important for me to work on this after I'm done working. We'll see you next time. Celebrate. Celebrate.